All right. Start us off with a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful to be your children by your sovereign choice. We are overwhelmed that you would love us like you do. We are wretched. We are unworthy. We are wayward. And yet, Father, you are faithful. And for that, we are most grateful. Thank you for not only redeeming us, but for changing us and commissioning us into the ministry of your glory. Give us, Father, continued passion and zeal for you above self and above this world. As we go about this podcast, may your word reign supreme. May the truth of the gospel continue to permeate all the thoughts, the deeds, and the actions that are part of this podcast that it would be about the truth and nothing but the truth. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. It is now 2023, and you have entered into the year of our Lord that he has already established from the very beginning. Is that a good way to start the year? There you go. All right. With me today is uh, the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I am blessed to be with my brother. Good. I'm I'm blessed to be with you as well. And um, you know, happy Doug, New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah. Duck season is is almost over. Yeah. Don't we don't want to go there? I just I just want to make sure that it was a good season for you. Yeah. It it was a quick season, but it was it was a it was a great season. Great season. Yep. Still, still might be another another time or two in the blind, so it's not over yet. Okay. Okay. The not, lady the lady isn't singing. Okay. So does the lady like confit? Is that does, it, does she like uh, duck? Is that, yes. Does I say it right? Yeah. Confit. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. It works. I'm not as cultured as you, so no. Yeah, we're working on that. I, yeah, I, I need it. I appreciate it. Yep. You know, so uh, I did get some uh, some uh, some pants for uh, some some camouflage pants for Christmas, though. There, there you go. I was I was blessed to do that. So yeah. now I, I will be hidden from head to toe. <laughs> <laughs> head, head, or well, at least the head to ankle. How about there you that? go. Yeah. Well, so Be- Beverly loves you. Yeah, she does. She See, does. There you go. It actually wasn't Beverly that got me the pants. It's actually uh, my oldest daughter. Oh, well, see? Yeah. They love you because Beverly loves you. There you go. Yeah. I, yeah it trickles I was, down. I, I was like, this is the best thing that you can give me. You give me something that hides me. There you go. And and that's 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 it. That's like John the Baptist. Yep. Yep. We want it, We want a decrease. Yep, absolutely. In every way. Uh-huh. Give me a Bible and some camo. That's there, it. See? That's, that's a great Christmas for me right there. I, I, you're speaking my language. <laughs> Well, see, there's there there's some fringe benefits to having a West Virginia pastor when you live in the city. Yeah, and you see? know what? I appreciate all of them because they are now coming into fruition now, that, and, and I'm learning more. So, uh, and and that's what I appreciate. It's it's the it's it's the biblical truths, yeah. and then it's the duck blind truths that well, that, that, that I'm learning. Yep. So, so I'm I'm not going to become more like the city. I'm going to help the city become. Become yeah. more like the country. The, so. the city, the, the I, I don't know. I think I think the city is overrated. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, but we're we're gonna do our part. It, is they, is it, they they call it the old paths, right? The yes. old ways yes. of doing stuff. Yeah, yes. the city is new. It's too new. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we it's been a while since we have uh, done a podcast. So 
uh, I have a few residual questions to to ask you about and to kind of talk through. So um, ironically, one of the things that uh, we have been doing as a family, it's two things. I've been personally reading through the book of Luke. Yep. And as a family, we've been reading through the book of Matthew. Okay. So uh, it's a it's weird because obviously now the the stories are kind of yep. going you know uh you know kind of intertwining because it's like you know one part is this and mm-hmm. so one thing that I I wanted to kind of ask you about uh when it comes to and yes this is a Christmas question the birth of Jesus mm-hmm. one thing that I did notice that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on was in in Luke chapter two. Mm-hmm. And the the teenager just busted through the door. Mm, that happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> busted through. Yeah. Um. So in when I when I read through when I was reading through Luke chapter two, um, now I gotta find it because I just lost it. <clears throat> but one thing that I was asking, we were we were talking about one the Magi, mm-hmm. and um when it comes down to the to the magi obviously we're we should all be have been paying attention a couple years ago Mm. when you were preaching on this and there were not necessarily three exactly uh but we kind of understood or or thought it was three because of the the gifts um, the gifts how many gifts that there were yep but um one thing that we did notice is and we were talking about it is like about this star like Mm -hmm. we're like the star that they saw, they came to Herod yep. and they asked about, uh, you know, the, the king of the Jews. Yep. And one thing that is just, just pointed out to me, actually, that was in Matthew. Sorry. Yep. The Matthew, uh, the Matthew portion when they, when they were talking when they were in front of Herod. Yep. And this is what they, this is what happened. Herod is, okay. Chapter two, Matthew chapter two, verse three. Mm-hmm. Um, no, let's, let's do two. Uh, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Mm-hmm. This is what got us. When Herod heard this, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Mm-hmm. This is the part that got us mm-hmm. and all Jerusalem with him. Mm-hmm. Why would Jerusalem be troubled? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know about the Jerusalem troubled with him. I, a couple things with this. I know why Herod would be troubled because he doesn't want anybody else to be king, mm-hmm. right? So that's obvious, and that's why he tries to kill him, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's clear, and that's understandable, and that's undeniable. So Herod saw, uh, obviously, Christ as infringing on his, his kingly right, mm-hmm. and he was the king and the only the king, and no one else was going to be king. He was you know, ruthless on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. So that's obvious. And um, I think, and I, and I can't remember the term for troubled there, if that's, if that's, a, if that's a helpful translation or not, um, but I don't, I don't know um, if if it's appropriate to say the same thing about all of Israel. But what I can say is it could, it could be more of the perplexity that came with that Mm -hmm. for all of Israel. Like what, what, wait, what's going on? But I don't, beyond that, I don't know. I know why Herod would be troubled, Mm -hmm. but I don't know why. I don't know why it would say all of Israel was troubled as well. Um, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what, what the reason for that was. Herod, yes why it says all of Israel with him. Um, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't right off the top of my head, doesn't make sense. 
I know there's an answer for it. Mm-hmm. I know I've studied it. I just can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. It struck me because I'm like, why is Jerusalem troubled? Yeah. Like, yeah. I could see if they were, and perplexed is, I think, is a, yeah, a I, good. Yeah. And because that word, the Greek term that's sometimes translated as troubled, can be mesmerized, mm-hmm. like confused. Mm-hmm. Right. And I could see that, obviously, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, but I have to, I have to look into it. I just, I just can't remember. Okay. Yep. Well, okay. So it actually, so the other one, I'm trying to stump, stump the pastor here with these questions. Well, you're doing good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. This, some, this, the, now this is Luke two. Um, this struck me really when I read it, I was like, oh man, this is good. So Luke two, um, verse eight in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. Mm -hmm. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, but for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people for Mm -hmm. today in the city of David. There has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Mm-hmm. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Yep. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God and the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Yep. This is what stuck out to me back in verse 10. It says, do not be afraid for, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy great joy which will be for all the people and then in verse 14 glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased yep are those two different people no uh no not at all because it is good news for great joy for all the people i.e all the people that he on whom he chooses to bestow his favor Mm. right and so yeah in that sense and in the in the general overarching sense it is good news and great joy for all people because all people can be redeemed Mm -hmm. now that the savior has come and so i think the second statement there clarifies obviously the first it it brings it brings a, a a clarifying uh, parameter to it. It is great news for all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, right? It's literally Titus 2, uh, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared to all men. It's mm-hmm. John 1, where John talks about the light came into the world, right? Mm-hmm. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. Yeah, he does. And, 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 and the good news is for all people. Mm-hmm. The problem is all people, all people don't want it, right? And all people haven't found favor with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that's where I was going. Yeah. And you brought up John three sixteen because yeah. as soon as I read that, I was like, John three sixteen for God so loved the world. Yes. But then whosoever. Whoever, that's it. It, it, a, it clarifies. Mm-hmm. And scripture often will do that. It'll give a universal general statement, which is true. But then it'll bring clarity to that. And so that you're not left hanging in the balance, thinking somehow that salvation is left to man, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so, yeah, no, without without question, it's a clarifying of what the angel declared, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. That that uh, what uh, what Paul says in First Timothy four ten that that uh, God is the Savior of all men, mm-hmm. especially those who believe. Mm-hmm. So you have that universal truth, which is undeniable, 
right? There's only one Savior. There's only one Lord. There's only one God. But he is especially, right, for the believer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's throughout Scripture, as I've already yeah. just shown. And now I'm going to mess with you a little bit, because yeah. now to Mark 13, mm-hmm. to that point, um, one of the things that now we're getting in familiar territory. <laughs> well, one of the questions that I had was from Mark 13, um, and I wrote it down and I never asked, asked it. it. You should have asked it at the Q and a man. What? No, I'm, I, I'm not going to use the Q and a to ask my questions. Oh, that's right. You have your own Q and a. I'm yeah, sorry. I this, forgot. This, this is, is the Q and a. This is my Q and a right here. <laughs> I'm going to ask. You can ask unsolicited, you I, know, I'm going to give everybody else an opportunity to ask. Yeah, that's right. And that's, plus, if, you're, so, you're so kind. And plus one of the questions that I would ask y'all would probably throw out anyway, because yeah. it would take too long to answer. Yeah. I need I need some I need the the, the long the long answer to to the question you know because you know it's the the Q and A was just for the the short ones or a bunch of questions being answered at the same time. It's good. So, uh, yeah. So there was a word that you used, and it's chapter thirteen, verse for for uh, for the sake of uh, context. I'm gonna read. Uh, 19 for those days will be a time of tribulation Mm -hmm. such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will Mm -hmm. unless the Lord had shortened those days. No life would be, would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Mm -hmm. I want you to kind of give a definition because you kind of skipped over it a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think that you did that purposely because it's not one of those doctrines that's easy to um, just kind of you know you you already had you only you only try to preach for an hour. This this would have been a three hour sermon. <laughs> this would have been somebody falling out the window type of sermon. Yes, uh, you know. So the 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 whole idea of well, one the idea of election, and then like who the elect are. So yeah, I want to. And the reason why I'm even asking this question is for the purpose of um, Beverly's calling me. I'm doing the podcast. She knows I'm doing the podcast. Um, I guess she's telling me that uh, she's getting a ride home. So sorry. I'm texting during the podcast. Please don't. Please don't get mad at me. It's my wife. I have to answer. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's never happened. Right. Um, But this whole idea of election and really. I guess the I'm trying not to be disrespectful because it's like the the election. The first thing that people will talk about is the the unfairness, yeah, of yep. the whole doctrine of election and or the elect, you know, calling those people out. Yep, and you know, we just saw two verses that literally, you know, the broad and then yeah. yep. you know narrowing it down. So I'm yep. kind of setting you up as much as possible, but yeah. I feel like you 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 ready to go? Oh no, it's good. It's a good question. It's warranted. Uh, actually, I can't remember exactly what I said because that's been uh, uh, it's probably been a uh, two months now since we were in that passage. But I'm pretty confident what I said. Uh, I de- I addressed it in the sermon. Um, obviously because it's so clear in the text, but my addressing it in the sermon was I have preached so extensively on the doctrine of election. Was I here? Uh, I don't know if you've... Well, yeah, you've been here for a number of those sermons and a number of those teachings. I've taught so extensively on the doctrine of election that it's almost... 
it's almost a mute point at Bellcroft. Like Is I, it? oh man, I have I have beat that drum. Yeah, to a pulp over seven years, because not because it's a soapbox, but because it's come up in so many sermons mm-hmm. that I've preached. Because it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible. It came up. I remember the first time I preached on it here. Most of the church had never even heard it because that's the history of the church. So I've had to I've had to walk the church through this doctrine very systematically. And I can tell you where you've heard it ad nauseum was the men's Bible study. And you've received extensive notes on it when we did the shuns. And so so I've taught it you in know multiple. I wasn't ready for it at that point, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, that was when I first got here. Yeah. And I had to get used to an hour-long sermon. Yeah. I had to get used to <laughs> a lot of the terminology. I'm serious. Yeah. A, a lot of that stuff I yeah. definitely wasn't because, you know, the thing about it is it, when I, when I saw it, I was like, you know what? I need to go back and I need to ask him about this because yeah. I probably, and I probably said that right over and my I head. I remember saying that in this sermon and I literally said, now everybody here knows what the doctrine of election is. IE, and I, and I defined it and I explained it and what it means and what he's saying. And I said, and isn't it a blessing because I've taught so extensively on this doctrine that I don't need to go into great detail on that. Now that's, I, I'm not quoting myself, but that's pretty much what I said in the sermon. And what a joy it is for me mm-hmm. to, to say that because that's the blessing of preaching the way I preach so that because this doctrine comes up all the time. Yeah. And you can't, you can't you know, beat that nail every time it comes up. You don't need to because you've already beat it. You've already hit it. Now you mm-hmm. can mention it. You can define it. You can explain it, mm-hmm. which is what I did. And then you can move on. Because you've already dealt with it, so I'm excited for the shuns to come back up in men's Bible study. Because it, it, you know, even even me looking back at my notes, like I wasn't even taking notes the proper way. Yeah, and what you have is just more questions. Yeah, and me reading through the scriptures, and I was like, no, I need to ask him. That's why we're going back through it again. Uh, yeah, which it'll all be taught on again, which I, is yeah, which is awesome. So, so I'm sorry y'all are hearing it again. No, it's not a problem. It's yeah. not a. It's a joy to talk about it because I will often start a topic on the doctrine of election when I teach it and encourage everyone by saying this, and I say it purposely with uh, provocation, that the doctrine of election is, I believe, the most encouraging doctrine in all the Bible. I believe it is the most um, positive doctrine in all the Bible. It is It is a doctrine that if it is understood properly, and most of the time it isn't, meaning biblically, it will root and ground you in an assurance of salvation that can never, ever be taken from you. And the assurance of salvation is a, is a, um, um, it's a right of the believer, but it's not necessarily a guarantee for the believer. The doctrine of assurance is something the believer really must grow in, right? And that's why there are Christians, true Christians, that struggle with the doctrine of assurance, and every time I have, and I've counseled many of them, and all of them have been, at best, at best, weak on the doctrine of election. At worst, not even convinced by it. And the result of that is almost always a lack of assurance of salvation. So the doctrine of election is so paramount in the believer's uh, sound doctrine growth, but it's also paramount in the believer's motivation and fighting sin and sanctification and all that goes with it. So it's a it's a 
it's an all-encompassing truth that impacts. It has tentacles that go out and impact so many other doctrines. That's mm-hmm. why it's one of the first shuns. Mm-hmm. When we, we talk about shuns, we talk about, you know, uh, 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 regeneration, election, redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, um, adoption, glorification, sanctification. Those are all salvation, the shuns. And we go through each one of those shuns, um, literally taking months to dive deep into the uh, biblical truth behind them. And one of the first ones we go over is election mm-hmm. because it's foundational to everything. Mm-hmm. Apart from God's choosing, no one chooses him. Mm-hmm. Apart from God acting, no one moves towards him. Mm-hmm. Romans 3 is clear. Think about it. Think about the undeniable truth that even Arminians will not deny. No one seeks after God. Mm-hmm. No one. I mean, that's what Romans 3 says, quoting from Isaiah 59, like nobody seeks after God. Nobody looks after God. Nobody wants God. Nobody loves God. Mm-hmm. I, mean, un, I mean, that's what John says in 1 John 4, right? We don't know love hmm. apart from him loving us. We only love him because he first loved us. Well, where does that love first get manifested? I'll tell you where, and it's not the cross. And it's, it's, not, it, it's literally before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 4, in love, he predestined us hmm. before the foundation of the world. Love, that's why it's the most encouraging doctrine, I believe, in all the scriptures, because it's a doctrine that's rooted and grounded and founded upon the eternal, never-changing love of God. So to rightfully understand the doctrine of election isn't to wrestle with the fairness of God. That's totally, that's totally missing the boat. The doctrine of election is actually to force you to wrestle with the true love of God. That's what makes the doctrine of election so positive, so encouraging, so amazing, because it really is just like a diamond. It's a facet of his love. Mm-hmm. That's what election is. Mm-hmm. Literally, the, 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 the word choice, literally there, it speaks of the, the, the choice to love in a very specific and redemptive way. That's what makes this so encouraging. You can't understand the doctrine of election if you don't understand the, the doctrine of God's love, his redeeming love. He has a general love for the world that's undeniable. He has a benevolent love for the world, but he has a redeeming love, mm-hmm. a special love for his own. Just like you have a special love for your, your children and your wife, God does the same for his. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the doctrine of election is rooted and grounded in love. Mm-hmm. And so that's always has to be the starting point okay. for election. And, um, but yeah, so the word elect literally means to choose. That's pretty much. And yeah, I think in Mark 13, it makes it pretty clear. It says the elect, those whom he chose, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, a, he's just clarifying what he means, right? It's literally. So, um, and what the phrase he uses there, the, the explanatory clause for the sake of the elect, that comes up multiple times in Scripture where mm-hmm. God does what he does, Paul does what he does, Titus 1, for the sake of the elect. The elect are obviously foundational to the eternal redemptive plan of God. Mm-hmm. That's why Christ came to die for those whom the Father had given to him. says that even multiple times, even in his high priestly prayer in John 17. So the elect... But they, they, they 
become foundational to the mission of Christ. They become foundational to the mission of the church. Paul says, Titus 1, I do everything for the sake of the elect. Paul doesn't know who they are. We don't know who they are, Mm -hmm. but we know they're there, Mm -hmm. right? And that's part of why we do what we do, because not because we we don't know who will be saved. We just know people will be saved because God has chosen them. And so it becomes a motivating factor of assurance, even in ministry. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know who's going to be saved. Uh, it's not my job. Uh, my job is just to bring the gospel, knowing that the Holy Spirit will use the word of God, Romans 10, to what? Save the people of God, whom he has already chosen. So God has a special people chosen before the foundation of the world, in whose name he has written in the Lamb's book of life, whom he sent his son, commissioned his son to to die for, and these are the people to whom he will ultimately save, because these are the ones who will ultimately repent and turn to Christ, and whom he will ultimately then redeem and make his children and bring to heaven. And they are, without question, the elect, the chosen by God, the ones whom he chose to set his love upon. And that's, uh, that's the amazing truth about the Lord. And and so the doctrine of election often gets, shall we say, um, unbalanced, unbalanced discussion because everyone, uh, everyone believes in the doctrine of election whether they know it or not. Because the doctrine of election is from beginning to end. God is a choosing God. He chooses from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He chose to create the world. He didn't need it. He got to need anyone. Mm-hmm. He, he's a choosing God. He chose, listen, I've never had anybody ever come to me and say, Pastor, why in the world did Moses get to be the leader of Israel not, and not Aaron? Hmm. Why? Pastor, it's not fair. It's not fair that Moses got chosen. Nobody's ever said that. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever said, why did Abraham, who was a pagan idolater, if we understand the text clearly, in the land of, uh, of, of Ur, right, where he's, he's out, he's out, he, he's, he's basically a, a pagan, and God chooses him to be the father of many nations. Mm-hmm. Why, why Abraham? There was nothing in Abraham that drew God's gaze to him. Why Abraham? Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever come to me and said, that wasn't fair. He should have chose, you know, cousin, you know, Ahimelech or whatever. Why Abraham? Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever asking that question. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can go through the, the, the history of Israel. You can go through the Old Testament, and you can ask that question. Why? Why Joshua? Why not, why, why not somebody else? Mm-hmm. Why not Caleb? Mm-hmm. Caleb was clearly a godly man. Why Joshua? Right? It's like, because that's who God chose. Mm-hmm. Like, God's a choosing God. Here's, a, here's an interesting one. In First Peter, Christ is called the elect of God. Think about that one. Because hmm. he is. He's the chosen redeemer whom the Father chose to send. Obviously, he's the only one that could do it. But nonetheless, he's the one whom the Father said, I got a mission for you. And thus he is rightly called by Peter, the elect of God. He, God is a choosing God. Whether you like it or not, he's been choosing from the beginning, Hmm. choosing everything he would do, choosing every person for this or that. And so the doctrine of election is not simply a doctrine about redemption and salvation. It's actually a doctrine about the character of God. He is a God who chooses. He He chose Israel. Again, nobody's ever complained. I've never had anybody come to me and say, it's not fair 
that God chose Israel to be the special people. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he choose the Egyptians? Mm-hmm. Why didn't he choose? It surely wasn't because they were any better. He tells Israel, I didn't choose you because you were any better. I didn't choose right. you because you were any bigger. Yeah. You were the smallest. You were the least. Mm-hmm. You were nobodies. So clearly, they didn't even exist. That's what Abraham becomes. Mm-hmm. He literally takes a pagan and makes Israel out of him, mm-hmm. and he chose to do that. That's his point. So it's interesting to me that no one brings up the fairness argument at any point, even when God chooses individuals to be leaders. Mm-hmm. He chooses the 12 apostles. Why does he choose Matthew? Mm-hmm. Why does he choose Peter? Peter was the spokesman. Why did he allow that? Why did he choose? Why does he make Paul? the apostle to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. I mean, why does he choose the, the man who wrote the scriptures? Why did he choose Isaiah to be a prophet? Why did he choose John the Baptist to be the, the voice of Elijah, right? The one crying. I mean, you could go down the, and you could ask that question, and nobody ever does. Nobody ever claims that's not fair. But the minute you bring up God choosing people to be, to be saved, to be the redeemed, to be the elect, that's when obviously... The curtains start flying and the arms start going up and everybody says, well, that's not fair. I was like, wait a minute, God's been doing this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. He's a choosing God yeah. and he has the right to do that yeah. because he's God. Mm-hmm. He's the creator. He can do whatever he wants. He owns us. Mm-hmm. We have no right. That's Paul's point in Romans 9, talking about the doctrine of election. What does the, the pot have any right to tell the potter? Well, you, you you didn't make me that way. The potter can make the pot whatever he wants to make, mm. right? Because he owns the clay. Mm-hmm. So it is with God. That's Paul's point. So I just think it's interesting when we get into this doctrine how lopsided, unbalanced the discussion is because I think if you're rightly going to understand the doctrine of election, you got to understand it being more than just redemption. Mm. It's everything. Mm-hmm. He chooses when the... Tribulation is going to happen in the context of Mark 13, and he chooses how far it will go. Mm-hmm. And he says, if I would have continued to let this go, even the elect would have would have struggled mm-hmm. if that were possible. That's mm-hmm. the point he's making. It. He's emphasizing something for point of how bad it's going to be. But he chooses not to let it go that far. Why? Because he can do that. Mm-hmm. He's a choosing God. So that becomes foundational to the doctrine of election is the character of God. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. Election is nothing more than God's character than being mitigated out in his actions. He is a God who chooses. He, cho- he chose creation to be six days and rest on the seven. Mm-hmm. He could have he done creation in one day and we rested on the second. Mm-hmm. You know, he can do, he, he, he is a God who chooses. Mm-hmm. He chose that. Because that's what he wanted. That's his plan. Mm-hmm. So, so it is with everything. And so it, it's his character. That's why it becomes so encouraging because this doctrine of choice is driven by his character of love. Mm-hmm. He chooses the unworthy to be his because he chooses to love them. Because love, this is where the doctrine of election and love become inseparably linked. Love at its most foundational level is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not an emotion. Emotions are there. All of that is reality. But emotions don't drive love. Emotions are the fruit of love. Mm-hmm. What drives love is the choice, the mm-hmm. commitment. And that's what election is. God takes his prerogative as divine creator and says, I will choose this one and I'll choose this one. Mm-hmm. And that's his love to do that. Mm-hmm. That's a commitment where he says, I will redeem that one. That's mine. And he can do that, just like he did Israel. I will choose Israel over all the other nations. Mm -hmm. And again, nobody complains. But 
So that's what we're talking about. So God chooses people for service. God chooses people for judgment. He chooses to use Babylon to judge Israel. Why did he choose them? Because he can do that. Mm-hmm. He chooses uh, He chooses to annihilate the Canaanites. That was his choice. And he gave them opportunity to repent, and they didn't. And so he chooses that, and he goes in and gives their land, takes their land, and gives it to Israel. He can do that. He's, he's, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. So he's been making choices all along. And so the choice to redeem is right in line with that. And so there's an election to service, there's an election to judgment, there's an election to salvation, there's election on many levels. There's corporate election, he chooses Israel as a nation, there's individual election, he chooses you, he chooses me, there's individual election to service, that's Moses, there's corporate election to service, that's the church, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of facets to election. It's It's broader and deeper than just redemption, but obviously when we're when we're dealing with this topic, we're most often talking about God's choice to save the lost in a very specific way, and that's choosing the specific people who will be his, who will be the holy priesthood, those whom he has chosen. Ephesians 5, he sent Christ to die for the church. That's a specific group of people, not a general mass, mm-hmm. but a specific group of people whom the Father had given to him. I mean, that's, again, that's what the Bible teaches, and that's mm-hmm. all I've done is just share that and... Uh, so it's a positive doctrine when you realize that I'm only redeemed because God has chosen me. Mm-hmm. And if God's chosen me, then I have nothing to worry about mm-hmm. because I didn't come to him. He came to me and he drew me unto himself. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm, 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 I'm not leaving him yeah. because I didn't come to him. Mm-hmm. He drew me unto him. Mm-hmm. Then I came, but I came because he drew me, because he chose me. And he promised to never let me go. So I have no fear, none whatsoever. And so it's a glorious, glorious doctrine. Yeah. You probably repeated a lot of the stuff that you said before, but I honestly did not hear anything that you just said the same way. Yeah. 100%. Like that is, that is very reassuring. Um, Man, we, 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 we have on this podcast, what I just said in the last, I don't know, 10 minutes or whatever it was. We we hadn't even scratched the surface. That was an introduction. That is a great introduction. Yeah, great introduction. And I've taught all that. Yeah, ad nauseum, honestly, yeah. because it needed to be taught, and I taught it slowly. But but yeah, yeah. There's a lot more to say. But you know, the, the other side to it is that there, you know, the way that I came up, there's a part of me, or I would say there was a part of me that didn't want to hear that. Yeah, um, no, it's and you know because it's like. Not just because of the like, you know, the fairness, like you yeah. you addressed that obviously, but it's also like the like 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 it's it's me, it's it's me, you know, my pride. I, I have a, I have a number of documents that I hand out when I teach this, as I've mm-hmm. done at Belcroft, and and I have a whole thing about reasons why people don't like election, and mm-hmm. I go into whole detail on that, I've, and I've got these bullet pointed, and I've got another one that talks about ten reasons why the doctrine of election is is the most uh, is the most encouraging doctrine in the bible and and so i go into great detail about that mm-hmm. very reason it fights against the nature of man the doctrine mm-hmm. of election is a death nail to to the pride of man mm-hmm. that's why it's so hated mm-hmm. because man wants to play a part and the doctrine of election yeah. says <laughs> yeah it's all him mm-hmm. that's what first corinthians 10 or first corinthians 131 i mean that's paul's point 
It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, starting verse 18, says, How many of you were noble? How many of you were wise? Not many of you. You you were fools. You didn't choose this. God chose you. He chose the fools of the world to confound the wise. Mm -hmm. And that's why he wraps up that glorious section about the amazing gospel love of God. And he says, it's because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. who has become for you righteousness, justification, sanctification, and glorification. I mean, it's just like, yeah, this is God's work, right? This is this is this is him. Mm-hmm. And that's why John opens his epistle with that glorious introduction. He says, it's not by the will of man. Mm-hmm. It's not by the strength. It's not by pedigree. It's not by heritage. It's not by nationality. It's not even by personal power of precision and choice. Mm-hmm. It's by the will of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Now, speaking of um, transitioning to the next uh, question here, uh, this is I'm just shooting them at you because these these have been held back for a couple of weeks. Uh, well, that one we we that's good. That's good. That's, I'm a good a, that's a good wet your whistle for the shuns when they come up in men's Bible study or at another time when I'm preaching and I've got time. Obviously, when I'm dealing with Mark 13. I don't want to get mired down oh, in that. Yeah. And I didn't, praise the Lord, I didn't have to because mm-hmm. obviously the bulk of our church. And uh, yeah, it's it's for me as a pastor, I, I love being at a place where I've dealt with so many of these doctrines already mm-hmm. where I can say that and just say, go listen to that sermon. Go, that mm-hmm. is like, praise the Lord. Yeah, that's good. So, because I want to move on to these other things. That's yeah. Paul's point. It's like, so let's, move, let's move on to meat. Mm-hmm. Like we got, I got to go revisit that again. So you think that the doctrine of election is milk? No, I'm not saying that. But when you've when you've already fed that so okay. many times, gotcha. it's like you know, it's like no, we've been there, church. You're mm-hmm. mature. You 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 know this doctrine. Obviously, yeah. not everyone. There's people that come and go, and mm-hmm. and that's why I'll continue to teach on it. But to be able to have those grounded truths within the history of the church is so helpful. Yeah, but you know, there is also I, I feel that there's a good there's a reason why uh there's a good there's good to hearing it multiple times oh totally yeah i love to teach on it and i will again but yeah in that in that reality of eschatology it's like i don't want to get mired down in that i, I want to keep moving on and what we were learning and and i did i mean obviously highlight the amazing love of god that's what i mm-hmm. talked about in that section i remember now mm-hmm. talking about the amazing love of god for the elect doesn't go away even in the midst of tribulation mm-hmm. he has his own there and he will not let them go mm-hmm. and again the most assuring doctrine think about it there he is all hell is being flung by christ upon the earth and therefore judgment and wrath like the text says like has never happened before never will and yet god is still sheltering his elect mm. That's a love that will not let you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very encouraging. So this this question that I have is actually anonymous. Okay. Yep. From an anonymous person. Not the question is anonymous. But from hi, an, hi, Beverly. It's, it's not Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. It's not, it's not Beverly. It's not Beverly. So it's hi, actually hi, a, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> not for me either. Sorry. I don't. I don't mind asking no, my questions. I know. Obviously, I'm just yeah. So the question really is uh, uh, centered around communion. Yes. So uh, obviously, it's First uh, Corinthians fifteen. Is that what it is? Uh, eleven. The First Corinthians eleven. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, you ought to examine yourself. Yep. And yep. Uh, if you have any issue with, you know, yep. um, yeah, we should probably turn to it because I'm doing a horrible job in explaining it. But yep. Nope. Um, the 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 question really comes around, you know, if there's an issue. So, like, since you 
let me see. First Corinthians 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 23. Receiving the Lord. 28. 28. Yeah. 28. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and bread, eats and drinks, uh, eats and drinks, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are sick. Where is it? You looking for the examine yourself? Uh, not just the examine yourself, but if you have an issue with someone else. Am I in the right uh, spot? Basically, if there's sin that is between you and another person. Yeah. Um, the question was asked of me. Yes. And when I answered the question, yep. my response was, because I know the particular person, yep. my response was, if you have an issue or if a person has an issue with you, because obviously if there's like, if you know, not, not a husband and wife, or it could be a husband and wife type of deal, um, and let's say the wife, let's say the wife is, is unsaved. Yep. We got to get you out of here. That's the sorry that's the call of the call of the bed. That's what that was. <laughs> Getting close to my bedtime. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. You're good. You're so, good. Um, so basically, if there is an issue that you have with an unsafe person, yep, or an unsafe person has an issue with you, would that be considered? Because my answer was, and I'm, I'm I'm asking you to check my answer. Yep. My answer was, you know, if there's an issue that an unsafe person has with you, and you're trying to examine yourself to make sure that you know, uh, communion, that, that, is, that communion is something that you can participate in. Yeah. I would say no. Now, if it's a believer, then yes, you need to go reconcile with that person and then come to the table. Yeah. So a couple things. One, the Bible talks about, uh, reconciliation and all of that. And that's true. Um, and we need to do that. Right. Jesus talked about if, if you bring your treasure to the altar and giving your gift, and you realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with him, then come back and mm-hmm. obviously uh, present your gift to the Lord. Um, so I think we need to we need to obviously not minimize that at all. But I think we got to be careful in 1 Corinthians 11 that we differentiate what Paul is saying there from what we often presume he's saying. And I want to be really clear about this because I don't think this has been always taught well. I've tried to be really clear on this multiple times mm-hmm. because I think it is confusing. What Paul is not saying, and I think we give lip service to this, but as we address what you're saying, I think we often fall into the trap of saying what I'm about to say. What Paul is not saying is that anybody somehow becomes worthy of taking communion. Hmm. He's not saying that. He's He's not talking about the person, like you're worthy to take communion, but that person's not worthy. No one's worthy, mm-hmm. right, in that sense, right? I mean, obviously, who who of us, who among us is going to say he's without sin, right? Mm-hmm. He that says he's without sin is a liar and the truth's not in him. So, so the point that Paul is making isn't that, well, now I'm worthy to take communion because I didn't do X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. right? That's not the point at all. Mm-hmm. And that's, but that's where most people are in a a naive sense sometimes, and meaning naivete and innocence, meaning they just don't know, and so that's, that's where they're going. Mm-hmm. Or in a prideful sense, mm-hmm. look at me, yeah, 
Uh, you know, I'm going to get all my ducks in a row, therefore I can take communion. Well, good luck with that because mm-hmm. you got ducks who are falling down the minute you're putting them back up, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of our hearts are that sinful. Mm-hmm. So I just think you got to be careful that you don't cross the line into becoming a Pharisee in preparation for communion because mm-hmm. that's what happens mm-hmm. if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. Because again, the focus is in the wrong place. You're looking at your worth. That's not what Paul says here. Mm. He's talking about in a worthy manner. Mm. He's talking about the whole thing is about how they take communion, mm-hmm. when they take communion, the heart attitude behind communion. That's the issue with the Corinthian church, was they were not celebrating Christ. They were selfishly putting themselves ahead of one another. In mm. the rich were going before the poor. They weren't waiting for the poor to get off work. There was all kinds of of demographic issues mm-hmm. and divisive issues in the church, and they were separated when they were supposed to. The whole point of communion, the whole word itself means united, mm-hmm. rather than waiting for one another, waiting for the church to be united and come together, because mm-hmm. that's the whole point of, of communion. It's a, it's a massive illustration of the unity of the church focused on Christ, because that's the whole thing. We celebrate communion, what? Thinking about the same person, doing the same thing, focusing on his blood, his body. We're all literally, it's like everybody's doing the same thing at the same moment for the same purpose. This is like this beautiful picture of unity that's centered around one person, Christ. And that's the manner at which it should be taken, and that's the focus. And and what they were doing is they were taking communion at this time, then so-and-so was taking communion at this time because the rich were doing it first, and then they were drinking and eating, and, and then they were becoming drunk so that by the time the poor people came, there was no food for them, there was a drink for them, there was nothing to celebrate communion. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? You have, you have taken this in an unworthy manner. You're not thinking about Christ. You're not thinking about one another being united in Christ. You're thinking about yourself. Therefore, you're taking this, you're flipping in the way you're taking it. You're, you're, you're disrespectful. You're divisive. Communion is supposed to be a uniting event, not a dividing event. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so it's not so much about the worth of the individual, because Christ makes us worthy. We're all worthy in Christ. So if I'm in Christ, I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. But it's, So it's not about that. Nobody is worthy right, to do anything, mm-hmm. to pray, let alone take communion mm-hmm. in and of ourselves. So it's not about our worth. It's about taking it in a worthy manner, mm-hmm. right? That's his point. Mm-hmm. And, and what does that then now mean? Am I taking it flippantly? Am I taking it ritualistically? Am I taking it pridefully? Am I taking it flippantly? Like that's, that's where you start to examine your heart and say, okay, am I, am I taking this with an attitude of worship? Am I taking this with the right focus on Christ? Am I taking this in, in celebration of the, of the body and blood of Christ, which now redeems me and, and, and deals with my greatest issue to where I'm not, I'm not worried about any of this other stuff? Am I taking it trustingly, right? That's, that's taking it in a worthy manner. And if your heart attitude is not that, that's when you let the plate pass, mm-hmm. right? Now, obviously, within that would be an unbeliever taking it in, in then thinking they're going to be saved. Obviously, that's an unworthy manner because that's not the point of communion. Right. You're taking it to, to do something that, that it's never going to do. Mm-hmm. So there's multiple ways this can happen, but it's never based upon your worth. It's not like you're worthy to take communion this week, but you're not worthy next week. You're never worthy to take it, right? But is your heart attitude right into where you're broken and dependent on the Lord and you're celebrating because of who he is? 
yeah, absolutely. Now you're now you're going to take it in a manner, mindset, attitude that is that is worthy in the sense of that's Christ focused. So I think that's important to clarify that. Right. It's very yeah, important. Yeah, yeah, and helpful. It's good. Yeah. So, um, but to your point, I, I think your question is broader than communion. That's my point. Okay. So I don't. I think your question, if it's dealing with believers, yes. If it's dealing with unbelievers. Um, yeah, I don't think that necessarily applies to communion, but it could. It could in this sense. The greatest way to take communion in an unworthy manner is if you have knowing, active, unrepentant sin in your life, mm-hmm. and you come to the communion table celebrating Christ as if there's no ongoing, unrepentant sin in your life. Obviously, that's taking communion flippantly. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say taking it flippantly, where it's Christ has shed his blood, he's broken his body so that you might be redeemed from sin, and here you are mm. living in sin and acting like it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, that, obviously, that's a, that's, a, that's a wicked heart. That's a, that's a prideful heart. That's a self-centered heart. That's an, uh, that, that's a taking communion in an unworthy manner because mm-hmm. you're mocking all that Christ has done, mm-hmm. right? And so you're making it a spectacle. Mm-hmm. It's like what Israel would do. Your arms are raised, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, while you're living your best life now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You see how that works. Mm-hmm. That's making a mockery of the cross, right? That's obviously, that's what, what the Corinthian church was doing, and that's why Paul's like, yeah, that's why some of you have fallen asleep and died mm-hmm. because you're a joke, and he's like, stop it. Don't do that. Don't make the, don't make, the, this is supposed to be a, a joyous celebration of Christ. Mm-hmm. And you're just celebrating your own life, doing whatever you want, and then lifting up his name in, in hypocrisy. And so, yeah. So I think the question you're bringing up, though, is a broader question of, well, the, with the unredeemed, it could be an issue where you got to deal with that. You got to get, you're living in sin. Mm-hmm. You know, you've stolen from your boss, you've whatever, you've, you know, you know, I don't know, you've lost your temper and gotten angry with your coworker or whatever who's, who's a Muslim, who's an unbeliever, and now you've defamed the name of Christ, and you know that's wrong. You need to go back and ask, hey, he's an unbeliever, but that doesn't matter. you got to ask him for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You've sinned against him. Mm-hmm. Whether he's a believer or not, doesn't matter, because in sinning against him, you sinned against God. Right. Because we're to love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. We're to love our enemies, right? Now you've sinned against him. And, and if that's there, and it's apparent, meaning you know it, and it's then you keep doing that, and you keep, like putting your thumb on that person at work or making jokes about that that Jehovah's Witness or that Islamic friend or whatever, and you're just like a, 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 a sinner who's actively sinning and you're just like moving about your life like it's no big deal, yeah, you better go deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a horrible way to live because your heart is hard. Right. And, and, and in no way are you right to celebrate mm-hmm. communion in that because now you're just a pretender. Mm-hmm. Now you're 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 building calluses around your heart, and so. Uh, but but if it's a brother, even more so, mm-hmm. right? Because now you're in church, and this is where I think your question now gets to the specifics. So mm-hmm. could be with the unbeliever, mm-hmm. but now if it's with a brother, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because again, the whole point of communion is unity. It's to demonstrate the unity of the body of Christ around Christ. Mm -hmm. And if you've got some nagging issue with your brother that's sin-driven, not preferential, but sin-driven, you got to go make that right 
because now it's a now you're taking communion divisively. Now you're taking the arms and legs of communion away because communion is meant to be a unifying factor that focuses us all on Christ and brings the unity of the bond of peace that centers from and around Christ because of the cross. And now you're just pretending again that you're united with your brother, but you're not. You're divided. Mm over sin. You got to go get that right. Mm -hmm. Go make it right. That's why I think communion is so awesome, because if we actually understood it properly and we actually practiced it biblically, it's almost as if God has put into the calendar of the church these moments that almost force us to deal with these issues that we deal with in our fallen state with one another so that we make it right. I want to celebrate with a clear conscience. I want to go before Christ and literally celebrate the gospel with no with no guilt. And I know our relationship isn't right because I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And the brother's like, absolutely. Thank you for asking. I've been praying about this. Hallelujah. Now you're reunited and now you can go to communion and say, that's the gospel gave me the desire to go mm-hmm. make this right with my brother, and he gave me the opportunity to be right mm-hmm. because now he can forgive me because yeah. he's been forgiven. Like, that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, that's that's more in, in scripturally in line, obviously, with the context of what Paul is talking about and would be in every way right, but I wouldn't take away that the unbeliever might need to be ask for forgiveness in that as well if you've been sinning against them. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's good. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. And I, the Bible's like, it's clear. Love our neighbors, love our enemies. Mm-hmm. Be, be, be. I mean, that's what Paul says, right? Be kind to everyone. Mm-hmm. Help everyone, but especially the believer. Yeah. Right? And so we're commanded to do that and to be model citizens of Christ-likeness to the world. Yeah. Also appreciate, too, um, before we take communion, you know, each Sunday, um, the elders kind of just taking the time to explain everything. Yeah. And uh, Amen. That, that's always good. I, I really appreciate that as well. And, so. and guard the table. That's what that First Corinthians eleven twenty eight is about, right? That this mm-hmm. is not a time for people to think that they're being saved through this act or a time to think that somehow this act makes them worthy mm-hmm. or somehow this act makes them more savable. This is a celebration for the church, not for unbelievers. And it's a celebration for those who are living in an unrepentant life. Mm -hmm. You're living in ongoing sin. I don't know what you're celebrating. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You're celebrating yourself, not Mm -hmm. Christ. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's funny in the way of like, just, I, I would, I would almost say strange that the, a lot of this stuff that I'm hearing, like I'm hearing it again but it's completely different to me, I, I guess. I don't know if it's like a, I guess I would, I, w- I would almost say it's like a change. Like it's, it's just, it just seems a lot different and more or less, it's not that I wasn't taking it seriously before, but now it's like, this is really, this is really, it's special. I would, yeah. I would put that word on it. And, and like, even <laughs> just thinking, just thinking through like the sacraments, you know, thinking through, you know, communion, thinking through baptism, Mm. you know, thinking through those things. It's like, you know, like how in the world, well, we know because he's God, like just, just imagining, like I could never think of a way to properly like display like the regeneration through baptism. Like that's just, 
that's a glorious thing is to see somebody go down in the water and come back up. Not that that saves them, but it's just the show. It's like it's like here you go. It drama- dramatizes the gospel. Yeah, like like literally a a, a, a mini play in it the is, middle of is, of is. service for us to see that first the like the, them proclaiming and saying, hey. Christ has changed my life. Like this is why, mm-hmm. and six million scriptures to prove <laughs> why they that they're changed. At least at Bellcroft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, to, like, the, yeah, then, then see them go down and come back up. And Amen. then at the same time, obviously, you know, the the first service, which was was to me just like like my heart was just warm the whole thing, the whole service, and then the illustration of Christ's blood and His body. And us consuming that in yeah. a way, and it's like, like, like how glorious God is because of the fact that He was a- He was able to just put that and give that to us. You that, know, that's the wisdom. Yeah, the the perfect plan of God. He knows what we need. Yeah, and, and I never thought about this. I, every Sunday, you know, Sunday after Sunday, not you know, not necessarily was, here, but like in old churches, like just yeah, just just take the take the bread, take yep. the cup, and just have no ha- flip it. Well, flipping and and uh, and uh, you know un, untaught, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not—that's the whole point. You need to be taught these things, and um, yeah, the the visuals of the bread and the blood, you know, it's the illustration of both sides of the coin of salvation in which we consume, like Christ said, we eat and drink of His body and His blood in that. Our faith is totally dependent on Him. That's mm-hmm. what faith is. Mm-hmm. It's it's it's. I've given everything to Him, and I've taken all of Him. Mm. Like I've leaned all. That's what faith means to lean all your weight upon. Like, like I've taken everything of Christ. If this, it, it, I've put all my eggs in one basket. I've mm-hmm. consumed all of Him. That's mm-hmm. that's what faith is. And faith is personal. That's why the act of of taking the bread and drinking the cup, it's a personal act of consumption, mm-hmm. right? That's what faith is. It's not just mental assent. It's a, vil- a volitional action by which I reach out and grab and take and eat. And mm-hmm. so it pictures that side of our saving faith, but it also pictures the other side of our sanctifying faith mm-hmm. by which we are nourished, mm-hmm. by which we are stabilized, by which we are uh, upheld by the blood and the body of Christ, the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's like this initial act of me consuming Christ in my faith. That's what I do. I lean it all. I lean into Christ totally mm-hmm. as if I, and, and it's, we become one, mm-hmm. right? That's what the gospel is. We become one flesh mm-hmm. and I'm taking his flesh. I'm taking his blood. Like it's becoming part of me. That's the union with Christ. Christ, right and that, again the church we're all doing the same thing because we're all one body yeah and then so that's the picture of what happens in the gospel but then it turns and it's like but then i need this regularly mm. and what is that that's the sanctifying grace of mm-hmm. the lord when i take in the scriptures and i consume christ all over again mm. it's like he re, he rejuvenates he refreshes he reforms he he forgives that's the ongoing sanctifying grace of the lord mm-hmm. and that 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 powerful uh, illustration of the body broken and the blood spilt and the mm-hmm. consumption of that on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. It, it's a reminder. It's a, it's, it's an actual strengthening of our faith. It's an actual st- stabilizing factor in our growth. It's, 
it's it's all the above and then some. Mm-hmm. That's why the ordinances of baptism and communion are so important to the local ministry of the church. Mm-hmm. That's why you can't do that in a retreat center with a bunch of you know college group or whatever because that that again is even removing it from the context of the local body of Christ of which you are united with it's just like you're you're taking away from the, even the design of it this was meant to be celebrated as the church with the church by the church to the glory of Christ who is the head of the church how'd you know I took it took communion with at a retreat center. How'd you know that? Because 99% of people do. (laughs) Literally. I'm like, I remember that time. Yep. 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 Also, everybody uh, else, when it comes down to the, uh, to, to, you know, you doing the baptisms, I would have 100% would have wanted to see you in your, in your waiters in, in, in the uh, baptism pool. Like that would have (laughs) solidified so many questions in people's minds like yeah. is he really about that life about yeah. that cultured life listen listen yeah. the question is which pair would i bring the pair that leak or the pair that are that keep me dry because <laughs> every duck hunter has multiple pairs of waders because they all leak really oh they eventually do when you use them like we do so okay yeah, yeah. yeah. i got a pair i threw away the other day because they leak so bad it was ridiculous okay a little bit of leaking you don't mind um, and there's ways that you can use plastic bags and work around the leaks. But after a while, it's like, why am I even wearing these things mm. when you got to turn them over and, and, and your pants are soaked? It's like, wait a minute. I thought I wore these things to stay dry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I gotta, I gotta invest in a pair myself. So yeah, maybe I, I, I mean, I'll take you with me. So you'd be like, okay, that yeah. one's a good one. That yeah. one's a good one. Yeah. I'll help you with that. Point them out, so. yeah. I've got a lot of worthless information like that, that I can help you with. Hey, I mean, it, it's worth something. It's worth something to somebody. Yeah, I, I, I give it yeah, to you. It's like just that. not worth anything in eternity. But not in eternity. But you know, but you know, there is. I've a got scripture. I got information on both sides, so yeah. that's why I focus more on the eternity side. But yeah. I got temporal information go. that I can it, help you with. I mean, there was a scripture that I heard you quote yeah. that says, "Rise, kill, and eat." Oh yeah, no, we can talk so, all about that. Yeah, yeah, I like that verse. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening to the Truth Talks podcast. I uh, appreciate you all tuning in and uh, be on the lookout. There may or may not be a contest for some uh, apparel coming up here lately, but you got to pay attention. So thank you all for tuning in. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. 
God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to thetruthtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at thetruthtalkspodcast. And visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.